Well, thank you all so much, and God bless you. It's a joy to have always to be with my precious wife, and uh, Kath has been my right hand and left hand, both, and uh, I love you, hon. It's always great to be with you. This woman is a prayer warrior and a prophetess, let me tell you. Uh, this morning in the bathroom, and I don't even have all my clothes on. She's laying hands on me and praying, and, uh, and I'm telling you, that is the God's truth, and uh, I always honor you and, uh, and love you so much, and great to have our daughter and son-in-law with us. Uh, it's always great to get to be, we don't get to be in church together very much, but glad to have them, and Jeannie Abbott's with us. Jeannie, we love you, and thank you. Jeannie, for 11 years, has been uh, my administrative assistant, and has been the most faithful uh, member of our Destiny team, really, and I always honor you, Jeannie, and, and glad you're here. Amen. Well, take your Bible in your hand. You know, one of the things I always try to do and have, I don't suggest I've always hit the mark but I've always tried to do that, is hear a word in season from the Lord. How many believe that a word that is in the right season can change your life? I don't think we can underestimate what God can do through a word. And uh, this is kind of the beginning of the year. We always seek God. And, and, you know, I guess what I think about it and how I kind of figured in my mind, and we're going to read some scripture in a moment, but the way I kind of figure it is kind of like getting in the frequency of heaven. Have anybody ever in this room know that you're saved, know that you're okay in terms of being in relationship with God, but felt like you were a few clicks off the frequency? You know, isn't it sweet when you can hit that clear channel and hear directly from God? How much comfort does it bring in our lives to know that we have dialed in, tuned in, and have got the, the clear channel of heaven and are hearing from God? You know, when you think about frequency, uh, I've, I've studied a little about a few years ago. Uh, frequency, particularly as it relates to light, for example, light is a stream of infinite power. And I watched an MIT professor a few years ago talk about light. It's pretty interesting because he was an expert in quantum physics and uh, was a, a, an expert in theoretical things related to light. And so I went out there online and, and sat through a couple of his lectures, and, uh, and I didn't completely yawn and go to sleep, but uh, he kept me for a while. He talked about light. He said, light is this incredible power and this force. And he said, we understand how it's, it's, it's real. For example, he said that light is real and darkness is not. I really hadn't thought about that till he said it. He said, darkness can't be divided. It can't be measured. It doesn't move in particles. It doesn't flow. It is simply the absence of light. Light, on the other hand, is real. It, it moves in particles and waves, and it is a, it's a force. It's, it's, a, it's a, an emanating, uh, if I'm remembering right, it was like he defined it as a, a range of energy, electromagnetic energy emanating from a thermal source. How's that? Just from extemporaneous pulling the files out. And so this light, and the, the one thing he said that we can't explain is where it comes from. We know how it operates and how it works, but we don't know where it comes from. And I thought, well, I know where it comes from. I read the Bible. You know, the Bible says in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light, right? And, and so this, and, and then the scripture says about God that God is light. And so then I, be, he, I, I just let him play on. He talks about that light has infinite streams of color. And there are dimensions and variations of color. But we're only wired with our optic nerves to see what falls between red and violet. That light's there, but you can't see it because it's beyond the range of what your eyes can detect. So anything beyond red is infrared, and anything beyond violet is ultraviolet. It's there, but you cannot see it. And so then he went on to explain what created the range of light between red and violet. He said there are oscillations that are happening at the source, 
And oscillations is essentially a disturbance. It's like the, uh, the old, uh, uh, you know, the, the telegraph field. Beep, 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 beep. Remember that back on your Western days when you're watching a Western? And, and, you know, the outlaws are about to knock the train, you know, over the next. And they're trying to get word out. And they, they do it through Morse code. And, and those, those are oscillations. They're interruptions in sound. And it creates a message. Well, he explained that those oscillations at the source of light create waves of light. So imagine, and, and this I do have a purpose for telling you this story, but imagine for me that I'm standing over a placid pool of water and I drip a, a drop of pebble into that water, there create, it creates a wave, right? If I drop another pebble, it creates a wavelength between those waves, okay? And that's called frequency. The frequency that I disturb the water creates the wavelengths that are moving away from the center where that pebble hits. Red and violet are certain wavelengths that are created at the source of light and source of energy that create a spectrum of light that you can see. Beyond that, you're not wired to see it. How many are glad that God in his wisdom, in the fullness of time, realized that you were never going to be able to relate to a God that, was in, that dwelt in unapproachable light? How many are glad that that God decided he had to step into the wavelengths of the light that, we, that he created between red and violet? And the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. And God, the creator of the universe, the son from all, of all eternity, Christ from the very beginning stepped out of the continuum of eternity and stepped into the dimension of light so that you could see the face of God being reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. Praise God. That's not my sermon, but I, just, I could preach it if I wanted to. So to me, when we tune into heaven, we get into the frequency of heaven. That's what we do in fasting. That's what we do in prayer. It's not that that changes God, it changes us. It adjusts us into the frequency of heaven so that we can get into the wavelengths of what God is saying and what God is doing in a particular season. And then we talk about words that are delivered in season. All that means is that they are in the wavelengths of what God is determining to do right in that moment. How many believe if you get into that wave it can change your life forever okay so stand with me and let's see if we can get into the frequency of heaven all right so open your bible with me because as we went into this new year uh, the lord began to speak a word to kath and i we've now shared that with our ministry and i want to share it with you i want to start in the book of zechariah three passages of scripture so be patient with me for a moment. I'm going to read a few passages, and then I'll let you. We're going to pray one more prayer, and I'm going to let you be seated, and you'll say, "Finally." Zechariah chapter number ten. I want to start there and read a few passages of scripture. And the point of this passage is it illustrates that we should rely on God's provision and not the lies of idols. Idols will lie to you vis-a-vis -vis the devil will lie to you through the idols in your life. That's a different frequency. Listen to me. That's a different frequency. It's not the frequency of heaven, but it is a frequency. And you are sensitized to hear that frequency in the carnality of your flesh. And so let's listen, let's listen to what Zechariah tells us. Chapter 10, verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, the latter rain were the spring rains. It's kind of funny it would work that way, but the former rains actually come from the October season in Israel, and they prepare the ground to be plowed. But the latter rains 
are when the crops are already growing in the field and it helps to ripen those crops and can actually multiply the harvest if the rain comes at the right time. If the rain comes in the right season, it can literally multiply the harvest that's already on, on the vine, so to speak, or on those pods. Ask the Lord. In other words, when it's time for rain and it begins to rain, ask God for more rain. Everybody say, more rain. This is, a, this is the one time it's okay for you to be greedy. Ask for some mo rain when God, because the mo rain you get at this moment is going to multiply the mo harvest you're going to have, as my Louisiana friends would say. And, and then the prophet goes on and says, the Lord will make flashing clouds. In other words, he'll make thunder. When you ask him for rain in the rainy season, he will bring thunderous lightning clouds and he will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. But contrast... For idols speak delusion, and the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams, and they'll comfort you in vain. Therefore, the people are caused to wonder by the way like sheep, and they are in trouble because there is no shepherd. How many are glad today that we have a shepherd in this church that is tuned into the frequency of heaven? Amen. And your idea, it's good to test your ideas against what the word of the Lord that has come to the shepherd and see if there's an alignment. Because sometimes we can hear a lie and it's hard if we're not prayed up and tuned in to listen to the wrong frequency. Can I get an amen for that? All right, so we're not, I'm not going to preach that either. I'm just setting the stage. All right. Now turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, please. John, chapter number 15. One of the most famous passages of Scripture that Jesus is giving, this, this part of John is really a, uh, a transcript, if you will, of the night Jesus was betrayed at the Lord's Supper. John gives us a detailed, topical conversation of what Jesus talked about with his disciples the night he was betrayed and the night that he was arrested to be crucified the next day. It's interesting, some of the content. Jesus talks a lot about the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't talk much about his death. Doesn't talk much about his resurrection, but he talks post-resurrection a lot in terms of what's going to happen after it all happens, and that's when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. But in this particular passage, in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. The emphasis in that passage is the true vine. I am the true, as opposed to false vines, I am the true vine. There are vines you can connect to and hook up with that will not give you life. They will destroy you ultimately and cause barrenness in you. But Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the guy that's tending it. My father is the guy with the bucket and the manure. And I am the vine that he's working on. And then he goes on, talks about every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I could talk a little bit about being pruned, but I know you're on your feet, and I don't want to do that, not right this moment. But anybody ever been pruned by God? I don't like it. I don't like it. It don't feel good, but the purpose of it is good. Because you say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm bearing some fruit. And God says, I'm going to cut you so you can bear some more fruit. Yeah, well, Thanks. Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, or in the reference before, the true vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, the centerpiece of the passage, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them to throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I think God's wanting you to be fruitful. And in your prosperity, your fruitfulness, he is glorified. If you're connected to the right vine and tuned in to the right frequency. Are y'all in the room? Everybody okay? All right, so we're going someplace. So by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. One more passage in Psalms chapter number 1. And you will have completed the longest scripture reading for text in the history of Christendom. But it's good medicine. It's good for you. Verse one of chapter one, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers, channels in the Hebrew, multiple streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Somebody say season whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now you can close your Bibles, and we're going to pray together, and then I'm going to let you be seated. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come before this great congregation. I thank you, Lord, that already I could just stop and pray, and I've already heard the word and received it. But God, I pray in the times that we have together that you will let this be a monumental word in our hearts. God, let it change our perspective. God, let it tune us in. That's the purpose. Let it dial us into the frequency of heaven so that we can see you in much clearer ways, O God. Less distractions of the world, less disturbances, O God, that are caused by the enemy and more focused on your purpose for our life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. High five about two people because you need a break and... uh, Tell them God bless you. All right, so that first passage in Zechariah, Zechariah and Haggai are prophets that are prophesying post-Babylonian exile. As most of you know, Israel was in Babylon for 70 years, and it's a pretty simple reason they were there, is because they had failed to honor God as first. Two things Israel had done for 490 years is they had failed to honor God with their tithe, and they had failed to honor God with the Sabbaths. And because they neglected the Sabbaths, God said, that's not how it works. You can violate, but you can't break my law because my law will break you. And so I'm going to have my Sabbaths. You can either give them to me, or I will help you give them to me by putting you in bondage. For 70 years, he did that. Sabbath is one every seven. And so for 70 years, they're there because they've ignored God for 490 years. After they've been released and allowed to go home after this chastisement of the Lord, and they've been released and allowed to go home, Haggai and Zechariah begin to prophesy to encourage the people. How many are glad that after you've been chastened, that God always offers you some encouragement? Amen? He never chastens you only for his pleasure. It's always for your good. It's always to develop you. It's always to help you get better than you were before he disciplined you. And so uh, Haggai begins to prophesy two months after Haggai finishes, which was maybe about a four-month ministry of Haggai, Zechariah picks up, and he begins to encourage the people. And in the process of encouraging them, he reminds them that there's more going on than them just building a temple and building a building. They are building a future. 
It's not just a structure that they are constructing, but it's a structure that is ordained by God. And that God is going to use that structure for generations, as a, not first of all, as a literal place of worship, and then eventually as a type and shadow and pattern and teaching opportunity for a millennium of Christians who would come later. There is a purpose. It's difficult. The, the, the work is strenuous, and you're having to sacrifice in your giving and in your labor, but it's worth it because it's going to come to pass. And, They're having to grow crops, and they're having to feed their family. And this particular message would have been directed to some of the 50,000 who were released from the prison camps along the Kibar River in Babylon. And they were returned, but they returned poor. They didn't have a lot of time for religion. They had to make a living and get by. Can I get an amen? In the process, the prophet begins to encourage them, and he warns them against idolatry. He warns them against turning into the wrong frequency and listening to the wrong things. He, he encouraged them to listen to the frequency of heaven and specifically that when it was time for rain, not to ask an idol to give them rain that had no power, but to ask God to send rain when it was time for rain. I don't know about you, but I've listened to a few uh, idols and a few lies of idols in my life. And the end result of those idols and the lies they told me was death and destruction. Nothing will ever good come in your life when an idol is lying to you. But how many know it's not just the preacher at the pulpit that's listened to them. It's some of the saints in the pew. When that flesh begins to tell you something that's not in accordance with the Word of God and you begin to act on it and you begin to live in it and you begin to believe it, bad things happen. And the prophet says, don't do that. Make sure that when you're asking for provision, you're not asking a dumb idol that can't even speak to you. It was crazy. Did you know one of the prophets told uh, Israel about the foolishness and all the nations around them about the foolishness of idolatry? And here's how he kind of characterized it. I believe it was Isaiah that said, you'll go out into into the forest and you'll cut a tree down. And then you'll bring the tree in and then you'll chop it up and make firewood. And some of it you'll use for firewood. Some of it you'll use to make a fire so you can cook your dinner in the evening. And then with the scraps of that log that's left, you'll carve eyes and ears on them and say that this God is what gave you everything you have. Are you crazy? I'm paraphrasing. You know, that's not exactly what the prophet said, but it was really close to that. It's absolutely absurd how natural it is for us to listen to those lies in the flesh But how absurd it is when you really think about it. Because we always want to turn to other things except the only source that can really provide something for you. And that one source is the God of heaven and earth. So whether it's a a financial breakthrough or a, a relational miracle right now here as we approach Valentine's Day. Whatever you need today, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is not in the world. It's not in Wall Street. It's not in Washington. The answer is in heaven from the God of heaven who can change your situation. Amen. I'm getting to be an old man, so you may have to say amen a little louder so I can catch my breath when I come to a moment like that. Don't listen to the lies of an idol because it'll jack up your life. And then, of course, John, Jesus then begins to reiterate, reinforces this idea that he is the true vine. And that if you want to prosper in life, you just need to be part of the true vine. Let God prune you. Let God work on you. The the beautiful part to me of that passage is that God's always working. 
Even when you don't know God's working. If you're part of the vine, God's always working to prepare the vine for higher levels of fruitfulness. And that includes you. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes me. In other words, God is always, whether you act him or not, he is working on you to increase your levels of fruitfulness if you are tuned into the frequency of heaven, if you are listening to the right source, if you are plugged in, whatever metaphor you want to use it, if you are connected to Jesus Christ, he has personally taken up his job to make you better if you will allow him to do that. And so as we begin to approach this new year, and I'm trying to tune into the frequency of heaven, I'm asking God for a word. Lord, I need a word. And there was a moment where the Lord said, son, you really need more than a word, if you know what I mean. How many ever, I mean, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all the social media. I don't know whether y'all's posts are blowing up with everybody looking for a word for 2018, but I have to agree with the Lord. Most of us need more than a word. A lot of us need a paragraph, at least. Some of us, a whole chapter. And a few of us, a brand new book needs to be written. You know what I'm saying? A word ain't going to get it. We need more than that. But I'm okay with it. I get it. I understand that sometimes a word can help you reset and can help you kind of clear the fog out and clear your head. And so in my weakness, I asked God for a word, and he gave me one. I thought it was going to be real complicated. And when you, get, when you hear this word in a moment, you're going to think, did we really come to church to hear that word? Well, don't judge it too quick. So as I begin to pray and ask God what the word was for 2000, what the word in season, that's the, that's the real factor that changes. That's the X factor. Not just a word, but what are you saying? God, let me step into the wavelengths of heaven. Let me step into the frequency of heaven and let me hear what's emanating from your heart for our lives this year. And then we will synchronize, we will surrender, and we obey that word as best we can. And here's the word the Lord gave me. The word was grow. Grow. Everybody say grow. Yep. Grow. There you go. Grow. And as I've thought about it, the more I thought about it, I thought, man, that is really a cool word when you think about it. Because that means everybody in the room can participate. I've been in a lot of words that I've heard. I've been in a lot of prophetic conferences. And, man, they come out with stuff, you know, pages of prophetic, what God's going to do. I'm thinking, man, that's wonderful. I believe God can do all that. I'm just not sure I can participate in any of it. I'm willing, but it's like so far out there, so far above my head. Anybody ever make a New Year resolution that you didn't keep? We've all done it. We filled legal pads with 10 more things. I'm going to do 10, this 10 things I'm going to do more of, and this five things I'm going to do less of. And I don't know about you, but at the beginning of the year, I just get tired before, by Christmas time, I'm wore out because I'm thinking about all them words and all that stuff I got to do. But then when the Lord spoke this word to me, I thought, you know what, I can do that. I can, because I don't have to do anything except obey. I don't have to do anything but just make sure I'm tuned into heaven. I don't have to do anything except just make sure that my dial is on the right position on the dial. And then he will take up the responsibility of helping me grow. And this year, when I finish the year, I'll be bigger and better and stronger. And my faith will be stronger. Come on, somebody with me. Maybe that would be a goal you could keep. Maybe that'd be a resolution that would work. Now, you're saying, well, yeah, the bigger part, I can handle that, no sweat. Well, I, I know, but I'm not talking about a waistline. (laughs) 
So it doesn't sound very exciting to a lot of people because we live in a microwave generation. Can I get an amen for that? Everything's instant. We want more. We want it now. We seldom make anything from scratch. Convenience is king. We crave for the same thing from God. God, I want you to fix a lifetime of craziness in one miracle moment. We'll come down in the prayer lines, and listen, I'm a big believer in prayer lines, no problem there, but we'll come down in the prayer lines and hope somebody can straighten out a lifetime of foolishness in one miracle, put a little anointing oil on me and let it be better. You know what I'm saying? But there's some things God wants to do in your life He's not going to do in the prayer line. Amen, Brother Brassfield. Thank you, Brother Brown, for that, uh, that amen. Yeah. There's some stuff God wants to do in your life that comes through development. Through discipleship. It's not just a quick fix or wave a magic wand. Or it's not just a a twinkle of the nose. No, no. You've got to decide that you're going to get plugged into the vine. You're going to stay in the vine. You're going to do what the vine says. And when they prune you, you're going to like it. I had not got that part nailed down just yet. But I'm working on it. You know what I'm saying? So God views things differently. He plans a pattern of growth for you as you grow through the challenges of life, through the highs and lows of living. That's how God views success. God views success that way. When God thinks of success, he thinks of fruitfulness. It's all over the Bible. And as I begin to look at it, man, it's everywhere. God doesn't think about success as an opportunity. He thinks of success as an identity. He thinks about you being a success because you're tied into the most successful vine that's ever existed in all the annals of human history. That's the vine called Jesus Christ. And if you're abiding in the vine, he said, you got power. You can ask what you will in my name and it shall be done. If you're abiding in the vine, you don't have to fret about performance. You don't have to fret about doing, being more and and, and always comparing yourself to other people. You don't have to get bogged down with all that self-criticism. When God thinks of success, he thinks of fruitfulness. He, he thinks development. He, he thinks plant a seed in faith. Well, this is exciting stuff, isn't it, right? Plant a seed in faith. Water the seed in faithfulness. Pull the weeds in service. Grow a crop and harvest the fruit, the reward. Then repeat. Then repeat. God's idea of success is simple. Sow, harvest, repeat. Yeah, but I want to work. Somebody needs to tell me what my doctor's name is and where I live. Well, I know what my doctor's name is, and I know where I live already. And I'm, I'm all for prophetic words. Hey, listen, I give a few. It's good. But you understand, if you're going to literally know your destiny in Christ, it's not going to be because somebody tells you where you live, your street address, or your doctor's name. It's going to be because you have found your place into the vine called Jesus Christ, and his power of life is flowing through your life. It'll make a better marriage. It'll help you with your children. It'll help you with your finances. It will help you with everything that concerns you in your life. So when God thinks about his people, it's not, I'm just not making this stuff up. When God thinks about his people, just read the Bible. He thinks in agricultural terms. He thinks in the terms of development. And he says, grow, grow. He calls Israel a grapevine, a fig tree, and an olive tree. 
In our passage today, he says that the righteous are like a tree planted by channels of water. Jesus said the kingdom was like a sower who went forth to sow. The word of God is called the incorruptible seed. Jesus is called the seed to whom the promise was made by the apostle Paul. Jesus calls himself a seed who must die and be planted through that death or he abides alone. And then in John chapter 15, what I've read in your hearing today, he says, using the agricultural metaphor, he says, I am the vine and you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So when God thinks of action and success, he normally thinks in process terms. We want miracle. God wants process. And he'll season that process with miracles along the way to help hold your attention. Isn't that cool? The truth is, if a lot of us were more disciplined, we wouldn't need so many miracles. I need a better amen than that. I've needed a few miracles in my life, and often I needed a miracle because I hadn't been disciplined and obedient. If I'd been disciplined and obedient, might not have needed an emergency miracle. Yeah, God thinks about development. He thinks about illumination of the soul. He thinks about discipleship. When the first man was created, Adam, what did God say to him? Be fruitful and multiply. So God characterized the fulfillment and, uh, and the promise and obedience in agricultural metaphors. Be fruitful and multiply. When the first family was commissioned to repopulate the earth after the flood, we got the first man named Adam. God said be fruitful and multiply. And we have the first family after the flood destroyed everything. Heard the same thing. Noah, be fruitful and multiply. In God's mind, your life is more like a seed to be planted than a door to be opened. Think about that for a minute. How many of us are living in a lifestyle where we're just waiting for the next open door? I'm waiting for God to open the door. I'm waiting for God to open the door. When God said, I'd rather you think of your life as a seed to be planted and a vine to be developed than just living from, is it behind door number one, door number two, or door number three? A lot of times we make God a talk show. We make God a game show host, right? And he's got these doors of opportunity, and that's how we live our lives. I'm not suggesting to you that God doesn't open doors. And I'm not suggesting to you that God doesn't occasionally bring opportunities into our life. But the truth is, real success, real discovery of your destiny is going to be because you are in the process of abiding in the vine, and that fruit is being developed by the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're growing, and you're growing in Christ as Christ is growing in you, and it begins to change the shape of your life and it will change the shape of your children's lives and it's not long one two generations that you've got a dynasty of Christian people who are loving and serving Jesus not because they have been incredibly gifted but because they have been incredibly obedient look at your neighbor and say this is pretty good medicine for you honestly as pastor would say I'd, I'd say that's pretty good preaching for a young guy like me but I'm not that young anymore So fruitfulness involves a process. It begins with a seed. Listen, it begins with a seed to be sown and leads to a harvest. It begins with sacrifice and leads to multiplication. It begins with sacrifice because every time you sow a seed, it feels like there's a moment that you've lost something that, that belonged to you. But if you sow that seed in faithfulness, God's promise and his system says, I'm not going to give you just that seed back. I'm going to cause that seed to multiply back to you. It begins in sacrifice, and it ends in multiplication. So I have a word today. Words grow. It's on the screen for you. 
I pray that it's embedded in your heart. And I want to now shift our sermon over to a little bit of a coaching. How many would like to be in one of my coaching sessions? Okay. So I'm going to, is it okay? There's about one of you that would like to be coached this morning. So I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I, I don't have time to rewrite my notes. You know, it's, so you, some of you are going to get coached where you want to be coached or not. All right, let me coach you just a little bit. Let's go back to the Psalms passage because this passage tells us some things not to do but it doesn't leave us hanging there. I love these kinds of passages because it tells us what not to do, and then it tells us what to do, and then it tells us the result if we will. And I like that kind of stuff. So first of all, he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. What is the counsel of the ungodly? It's the plans, opinions, and purposes of the wicked. And how would I define wicked? Not as sinners, per se, but godless. But godless. There's a distinct, I mean, he, he just said, well, you know, you, you're going to have people speak into your life and not all of them are going to be saved. And some of the things they say might be some basic wisdom in it. But there's a difference in that and then walking in the strategies of the godless. What is a godless person? It's a person that does not recognize God in their life at any level. It's a system of thought that has no God in it. It's a system of ideas. It's a media outlet that has no God in it. It's, it's, you, name the, you name the source. If the source is godless, it's wicked. And he says, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not have a steady diet of the ungodly because it will mess with your connection to the vine. He's speaking of your associations and your influences. In other words, if you're going to be, how many want to be successful? How many want 2018 to be the very best year you've ever had? Well, let me coach you. Watch your associations and your influences. What is influencing your life? The people that are, you're associating with, ideas are contagious. You've got to be careful who you hang out with because if you're not careful, there'll be an idol that will wiggle into that relationship and tell you a lie that comes from a trusted source in your life and you will wind up off the frequency of heaven and you will wind up in a road toward destruction and not growth. Psalms 33, 11 says the counsel of the Lord stands forever. What's the coaching takeaway? Be careful who you hang out with. I, I always used to tell young people and still do, be careful who you date because you can't help who you fall in love with. Can I get an amen? For anyone who's ever married the wrong person, there's no time for testimony here. We don't need any examples. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to make room for it, but you know what? I'm just saying. Be careful who you hang out with because it can jack up your life. That's what the psalmist is saying. Happy is the man who doesn't have a steady stream of godless influences in his life. You've got to watch how much news you watch. Because that'll mess you up. I know we need to be informed. We need to be involved in the political prophecies. I get that. But you've got to watch out because you'll watch one news and then change news and it'll be different news and you don't know who to believe. You've got to watch when there is a godless system that's feeding your life. It will mess you up. And it won't be long till you'll believe in that stuff. And you'll be believing all that stuff. And, and it won't be long. No, don't do that. Get in the word of God. Get, he says that the man who is wise meditates on the law of the Lord. And day and night he is reading the scriptures. Be careful who you date. Because you can't help who you fall in love with. The second he says stands in the paths of sinners. 
Now, the first speaks of your associations and influences. The second speaks of the patterns and practices of your life. We say, well, aren't we supposed to be a friend to sinners? Of course we're to be a friend to sinners. Jesus was a friend to sinners. But it's different between being friendly with sinners and then living your life based on how a sinner lives their lives. I'm not talking about perfection that produces righteousness in your life. I'm talking about logic and common sense that makes your life better. If you live like a, you know, the old song, don't be careful, you're not living like an Egyptian. Christians ought not do that. If you're, how can you do that? If you're abiding in them, if you're connected to the vine and the life source of Jesus is flowing through you and God himself is the vine dresser, how are you going to always be running out to the world and living like an Egyptian? No, that's, that's never going to produce happiness in your life. It's going to produce confusion. It's going to produce destruction. You're going to be saying, man, I'm going to need a better year next year because this year has I've been to hell in a handbag. You're going to, no, no, you're going to have to realize that if you want to go to heaven on a chariot, you've got to be connected to the right source. Amen, Amen Brother Brassfield. I just encourage my own self. Stands in the past. He says, watch who you're hanging out with and the influences. And then watch the patterns of your life. A lot of times we realize that we are off in a wrong pattern and we will repent, but we don't change the pattern. Some of us don't need just to make a mental decision we're going to change the pattern. Some of us need to break it. Like destroy that yoke. Burn it. Or you can't get back to it. Quit going there. You're not not going to ever get victory over alcoholism if you're trying to witness to all the guys at the bar. Can I get a good amen? Is that all right? I think I've been here long enough to be a little pastoral. You know what I'm saying? It's not rocket science. You can't be successful if you are walking and living in, the writer says, the way of the sinners, in the patterns and practices of the sinful lifestyle. I'm not talking about perfection, but you've got to dig out of that pit. You've got to get, he's redeemed you. You're redeemed with not corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. You've been bought with a price. You're not who you used to be. All things have passed away. While your flesh might trip you up to make a mistake, it has ceased to be your pattern and your practices. Okay, so let's move on. I'm, I'm just coaching. You say, oh, that sounds a lot like preaching to me. Yeah, well, I just call it something different because the pay scale's different. I'm joking. The third thing he says, or sets in the seat of scornful. This is about attitude. This is about attitude. Your attitude is about 90% of the success in your life. Attitudes. What great wisdom. These three things together will largely determine your success this year. I mean, you do need to learn some stuff. You need to educate yourself. You need to to make some new friends. There's things that you can do. But this prescription in the scripture is simple, and it was true 3,000 years ago, and it's still true today. Your influences, your patterns and practices, and your attitudes will determine your destiny. As I close, two coaching Suggestions. Everybody say number one. I'm going to help you with this. Am I helping you? <laughs> I hope I'm helping you. And I'm not mad at anybody except the devil. I want to help you. First of all, be aware of the deception of pride and self-reliance. You say, Brother Bessman, how am I going to do that? How, how am I going to 
resist the influences of, of, of the godless? How am I going to break the patterns and practices in my life? How am I going to adjust my attitude? Well, you have to beware of the deception of pride and self-reliance because pride will always convince you that you know better than God. And you know pride, the devil uses pride because he hates you. He don't like you. So pride is not something that's good for you. It's something that's bad for you. I'm not talking about healthy self-esteem. I'm talking about pride. Did you know pride is content to lift you up through self-reliance or to cast you down through low self-esteem? It don't care what vain it is as long as you are the focus of your life. Pride don't care. Pride will tell you, man, you're the best there ever was. Man, did you hear that sermon? My goodness, man, they was... I mean, that's not going to happen this morning, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, it's like pride will tell you you're the best or pride will tell you that you're the worst. And a lot of times when we have low self-esteem, we think it's humility. It's not. It's just a backward way of being prideful. Because pride is about self-focus instead of God-focus. Pride is about, it's all about me, either high or low. You have to be careful of the deception of pride. Because pride will push you toward quick solutions like the counsel of the ungodly, the patterns of sinners, and bad attitudes. Pride will do that. So the remedy for those things is to repent of the sin of pride. Being simply a part of the vine is pretty humbling. It's like, Lord, wait a minute. I thought I had all those gifts. I mean, I, I thought I was all that in a bag of chips. And he said, no, just abide in me. Just abide in me. Wait a minute. I thought I was super obedient. I thought I'd, I'd taken, I got the Ten Commandments nailed down. I'm amazed, God, at how much I've grown. I'm amazed at God at all you've done through my life. It's, it's funny how our, pri- our prayers can be so prideful, cloaked in a disguise of religious humility. When the truth is, all of us have to come to this conclusion that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Period. Nothing. So we have to make up our mind that we're going to stay connected. We have to find the frequency of heaven. We have to stay tuned in, resist anything and everything that tries to pull us off the dial And then when pride rises up in our heart, whether it masquerades itself as low self-esteem or whether it masquerades itself as you're all that, realize that the source is the same and the purpose is the same, and that's to pull you off the frequency of heaven. Stand with me, would you? Notice what the psalmist said. He says, if you'll make that your focus, you'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. You know the implied idea, the implied notion there is that you will be so uh, uh, hydrated, you will be so spiritually hydrated that no devil can stop you from bearing the fruit God has ordained for you to bear. And when it is time, your fruit will bud and it will come to maturity and the harvest in your life will be great and every sacrifice that you've invested and every moment that you have invested will have been worth it all. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water and multiple channels, multiple sources of water. And in season, his leaves will not wither. There will not be a burn ban around your life if you stay connected to the vine. Uh, Aaron, if you would, or whoever's going to come, come and join me. And I love how he finishes. He said, prosperity shall be his portion. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not sure. We're, we're 55, Kath and I. I should have just said me, but Kath and I, we're 55. And things are changing, y'all. <laughs> I'm not sure 
what 2018 will hold, the challenges that we'll face or the accomplishments that will be achieved. But I can tell you this, we're going to be bigger than we were last year. We're going to be stronger. I might not have it all figured out by the end of the year, but I'm going to have more of it figured out than I did last year. The devil may still trip me up. He may still cause me to stumble, but it's going to take more of them. Are y'all in the room with me? I can't guarantee all that's going to happen, but I can guarantee that we're going to grow. And you know why? Because we got Jesus living in us. <laughs> we got Jesus living in us. And as I'm growing in him, he's growing in me. <laughs> as I'm growing in him, he is growing in me. He said, you told us you had two things you wanted to coach us with. I did, and I gave you one. Let me give you the last one. If you want to live this kind of life I'm talking about, you've got to let go of the past. Yeah. A new word for a new year begins with getting over the stuff you went through last year and the years before. Look at your neighbor and say, get over it. I'll even give you permission. Because I know Valentine's Day is coming. It's just a few days, and I want to be careful. But I'll give you permission to say, how long are you going to hold on to it? You've got to get over it already. Get over it. Stop thinking about what you're not, what you aren't, what you wish you had, what you wish you could do. Determine that you're going to grow toward the person God wants you to be. That's what you want. I promise you don't, may not even know it, but that's what you want. That's what your soul is craving for. That's what your spirit is begging for. For you just to be more like Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus in you. That's what will make you happy. You think more money? I mean, literally, is that the highest goal you can think of this year is to make a few more bucks? Nah. A few more houses, some more land, a few more assets. Those things are all fine in God's plan at times. But the real things that bring happiness are not things that you can buy. And so we make all these New Year's resolutions, and the truth is our New Year's resolutions are normally the first regrets of the new year for us. But it don't have to be that way. So it's plain and simple. Let go and grow. This is what we determined. Three things. We're going to grow in faith this year. What if you just did that? What if you said, I'm going to grow my faith this year? That's a goal. That's a resolution. 2018, I'm going to grow my faith. You say, well, but I've been through this or I've been through that and my faith has been shaken. But you know, Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher, said one time that a faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. Don't panic when your faith is tested. It's growing. If you won't back out, if you won't throw in the towel, if you won't run away... If you'll just hold on, faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the perseverance of commitment even when you're not sure. Grow in your faith. That's what Kath and I have decided. Of all the things we don't know, we know that our faith is going to be stronger this year. Number two, we're going to grow our commitment. Somebody say, grow your commitment. Make a decision that nobody can outcommit you. They might can outperform you, but they can't outcommit you. They may be better at it than you, but they can't outcommit you. So make a commit to serve, to get involved, to get up and get out there, to work hard, to volunteer, to make a difference. You can do that. And that's what we're doing. 
And then lastly, we're making a commitment to grow in our giving. Our time, our talent, our treasure. Did you know giving consistently makes the list of must-dos for the most successful people in the world? Believer or not, if you get into their papers, things that they've written about their experiences in life, for the most part, generally giving makes the list of the must-dos. So we're going to grow our giving this year. I'm not so sure that it's going to translate to more dollars and cents. Probably will. But we're just going to give generously. And we're going to give till it hurts. And we're going to give sacrificially. And then we're going to give some more. Because I figured this out. That when you give at that level. It messes the devil's world up in your life. It messes his world. You want to grow? Give. Because I figured this out. There is a direct relationship to heaven's release in your life. When you open up the valve and give. It it immediately releases heaven. And God makes you bigger. All right. It's 12 minutes after 12. And you've been very patient with me as I've coached you today through this process. How about today you make a fresh start? Okay, so let's just think about that. How about today you make a fresh start? How about we just, we just uh, delete all the stuff that happened last year or whatever year it happened? Why don't we just take a step forward and say, God, okay, I heard the preacher. I can do that. With your help, if I will tune into heaven and stay connected to the vine, I can handle that. I can do that. I may not have a doctorate in theology when the year's over, but I'm going to know more about the Bible. I'm going to know more about the Lord. I can do that. If you're here and you're in the room and you'd say, I can buy into that, let's just all bow our heads. I'm going to give you a private moment.